Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Delver of Secrets, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Meddling Mage, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Raw on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of the Eternal Glory podcast, The Biggest Bangers. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are y'all doing tonight? I'm hoping that this is going to be a banger. Is it the biggest banger? I'm going to guess that this is going to be a medium banger. I mean, the episode might be a medium banger, but the set, the set might be the biggest banger of all time. We're talking about Modern Horizons 2, if that wasn't clear contextually, or if you're reading, or if you're listening to this episode a year from now, we're talking about Modern Horizons 2. Set is stacked. Yeah, um, so I, I recorded a Modern League last week, and, like, when this set hits, everything that everyone knew about Modern will be dead. The format just got injected with all of the roids known to mankind. I published my video today, which was another Twiddlestorm update, because I knew that it wasn't going to be affected by Modern Horizons, so I should get it out now before all the other new stuff comes out. Yeah, I, I'm working hard to clear my donation queue in time for this set, because people were like, uh, had their torches and pitchforks out when I was like a week behind on releases when Oko and Dreadhorde Arcanus got banned. I can't even imagine what they're going to say. It's just like... A hundred new cards are relevant in every format. Like, what are you doing? We don't want to see Rug Delver. So. <laughs> All right. Let's get into the magic in a minute, but let's do real life first. Um, Bryant, how's things? What are you up to? I was in Hawaii slash Maui for eight days, and uh, it was delightful. Got a little bit of a tan, got to relax a little bit. But my flight back, I picked up a book at the Maui airport David Wright's autobiography, he was a New York Met, one of my favorite players of all time. And in it, he talks a lot about imposter syndrome, which is something that we talked a lot about in the last episode, and how he never felt like he was good enough. Even when David achieved great things, there was this voice always saying like, well, I wasn't this, or I didn't achieve that. Well, I made the all-star game, but I'm not the best player here. And it really shed some light that even the greatest people or greatest athletes in the world deal with the same things that we as magic players deal with. And that there's this always this strive to be better and this voice telling you that maybe you're not good enough. And it was sort of interesting to read about. And I thought I'd share that. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. It's not just a magic thing. Yeah. Uh, somewhat related to that. Uh, we, we played with some uh, statistics at, at I went to Alex Bastecki's wedding this past weekend, Invitational Champion, Germ Token, Alex Bastecki. I was a groomsman, and just in the wedding party alone, we had three Pro Tour competitors. So we had the uh, the reception draft fired, 
And the question was asked, like, is this the most uh, Pro Tour experience that's ever been in a wedding reception draft? And I, I hard vetoed that because I know that, like, Luis Scott Vargas is married. And, like, uh, it's certainly been done. Like, you've heard the stories from, like, the, the Hall of Famers. But then we were, like, certainly in the 1% of all weddings ever, this is the most Pro Tour competitors to ever draft at this wedding reception. And, like, when you when you think about, like, the grand scheme of Earth and time like it's probably the 0.0001 percent of magic skill in a draft so like uh when you're in the imposter syndrome it's like i'm in the 0.01 percent but there's a 0.001 percent above me and i'll never reach that and once you like really break it down uh you get a little more comfortable in your own skin i like that analogy All right, so what have Brian, you been up to, Phil? Um, I took a four-day trip to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and it was exactly what I needed. Uh, I was kind of burnt out from the school year, just kind of needed a vacation, and I just got together with one of my magic buddies and his wife and one other friend, and we just kind of like walked around the beach, ate at a bunch of places with outdoor seating, just kind of chilled, had drinks, relaxed, went to breweries, walked and saw cool old houses i just like did stuff for four days straight and it was exhausting and refreshing and everything that i possibly needed right now if you miss magic I... events just take a vacation it's almost as good did you happen to have any oysters while you were down there when i visited charleston that's what everyone recommended is like the fresh oysters um i didn't do oysters i did some other seafood um and it was it was pretty good nice other than that, um, I've started ticking off my to-do list of things that I've put off for the last year and a half because of COVID and because of just crazy teacher end of the year. So now it's like dentist, doctor, eye doctor, car service, all, all that sort of stuff. And I feel very productive right now. What about you, Brian? Uh, I am also on summer break now. I think in our last episode, I was saying I have an out-of-town wedding this weekend and a wedding weekend after that. Well, those are now the previous two weekends because that's how linear time works. And my my first wedding was in Nashville and Nashville was pretty cool. Uh, I ate a lot of hot chicken, which is what they're famous for. Uh, I think I ate it for like five of seven meals when I was in town. And uh, I, I was happy with that experience. Um, however, the uh, the turn and burn of like drive 10 hours to Nashville on Friday, wedding, uh, one day of relaxing, drive 10 hours back Monday, finish my school year, uh, Tuesday through Friday, straight into uh, Alex's wedding that I already mentioned, rehearsal dinner Friday night, wedding on Saturday, and then suddenly it was Sunday, and my two-week buffer that I have built into my YouTube releases was gone, because I was busy and out of town for two weeks, and for those two weeks it was like, oh, this is so great, I don't have to record content, but then like, for the first time, it was like, I need to record Sunday for Monday and under the gun. I haven't felt that in months. And there was also no food in my house because we were we ate everything or threw out what we wasn't going to last before we left for Nashville. And then we just had this rocket of a week uh, leading up to the second wedding and finishing the school year. Uh, my union drive passed, by the way, uh, that happened in that week, too. So uh, the official vote is in and we're done like all of that happened in that week so 
I've spent the last three days. It's now Tuesday. Like Sunday was just a pure recording day because it has to be ready for Monday. Then Monday, I like did some grocery shopping, mowed the lawn. That was horrendous. Like I was embarrassed to <laughs> to live in this house for a couple days with the state of the lawn. So I, I have not quite relaxed yet, despite being on summer break. But I feel things slowing down. I went grocery shopping today. Did some major shops, did a Costco run and the regular grocery store. And like there's food in the house now. feel like I can take a breath starting tomorrow. Yeah, I have to do that grocery shopping still. There's no food. (laughs) Brian, you mentioned driving. That's actually a fear that I've had over COVID is as magic players, we end up driving for seven hours to a tournament or whatever, at least the grinder types do. And I haven't done that in a year and a half. Well, it's been in my mind like is my body going to be ready for this my old man back all that good stuff well in maui uh my wife signed us up for the road to hanan or hannah or however you pronounce it you drive around a mountain to get to this tiny town and there's a lot of one ways and one way bridges and it took maybe eight hours i'm like okay well i guess i'm ready for magic trips again uh all these like dangerous turns and whatnot one way bridges and like you backing up so other people can get through and everything else like I think I'm ready. Like, let's go. Nice. I, I was genuinely excited for my 20 hours of driving uh, going into that Nashville trip. Because, uh, like you said, I, I used to drive, you know, 20, 30 hours a month uh, just on weekends to get to these magic events and back and just haven't done it in a year and a half. And I was just so excited to just put on podcast, get in the zone have some driving snacks, just experience that again. Cause I do love that. Uh, it's frequently like, I mean, if I had the option to just teleport where I'm going, I would obviously take it, but I do enjoy the road trip aspect of, of that, that we haven't gotten in a while. For sure. Speaking of COVID stuff, how are the, uh, mask regulations in, uh, New York and, uh, the Carolinas down there, Phil? Cause in Pennsylvania, it, it's now like all businesses have just gone to it's optional or like you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated and I am vaccinated and the CDC says it's cool. So like I'm, I'm cool following their recommendations, but I've spent the last 16, 17 months programming myself that people who don't wear masks in public are pure evil, just selfish monsters, complete garbage. So like, even though I don't legally or medically need to wear a mask anymore. I still just do every time I leave the house. And I'm like walking past people who don't have them on, including store employees. And I'm like, I'm not mad at you anymore, but what's wrong with me? Like, can I just take this thing off? And then it, it that there's definitely some unlearning now that is going on in my head. Well, uh, I was on leaving a legacy two weeks ago. And I felt like I was breaking up mom and dad from a fist fight because Pat was on the no one should have to wear masks anymore train and Jerry wasn't. Uh, At least here in New York, it's optional as long as you're vaccinated. But I will admit it is a little bit weird. Even when you're outside and I'm too close to someone, I'm like, get away. I'm going to put my mask on. I'm still on the wear mask indoors at all times phase. Like, I would like to be someone setting that example, even if I personally don't need to. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a lost battle at this point because people who didn't want a mask before aren't going to be doing it now. But I don't know. Yeah. I will. Yeah, it it's weird. I will be okay with being slightly less comfortable for ten minutes while I'm running into the grocery store to, uh, you know, 
be the person wearing a mask. Yeah, I, I, I've just been putting up with it for now, but I feel like it's coming soon where I will just walk into Target fearlessly without a mask on. And uh, Though I, I will say the worst part of it is that my local grocery store has peeled up all the one-way signs and like this, like that sort of stuff. And I loved the one-way and like traffic rules in the grocery store because I've said this on the pod before how I feel like those should always be in place just for common courtesy and logistical reasons. And like, I don't want like six carts in my way going different directions and like people just parked and shit in the middle of the aisle I'm trying to walk down. But all of that is back. There's no longer rules. I'm no longer within my rights to be mad at anyone for coming down the, the lane the wrong way. I will say that was one of my favorite things about uh, Charleston is every place I ate at was just outdoor seating. Everything was beautiful very frequently with, uh, you know, a, a view of water of some kind. Uh, didn't have to think about that stuff basically at all while I was out there. It was nice. Nice. All right. Are we ready to move into donations? think so let's right. do it up thank you very much to jordan wood john vanilla silas riano marcus daum and matt hackbert for your support of the podcast we really appreciate it, it keeps us doing the things that we're loving to do we should probably thank phil it's been a few episodes so thank you to force of phil on twitter phil blockman of the eternal dirtles podcast for wonderfully editing our stupid voices what it do, baby? Yeah, yo, what do you know? All right, let's do some uh, magic updates and then get this show on the road. Um, so like Brian, I've been powering through the tail into my donation queue. I think I have three decks left in my queue that are like pre-Modern uh, Horizons 2. Uh, so I'm going to be powering those out in the next couple of days. And then everything that I have will be uh, recent content. And I've also been doing content production for five years now. Uh... I, I realized as of June 23rd, I'll, Thraben University will have been live for five years. So I'm going to, well, it's mostly written, um, but I wrote kind of a five-year retrospective, like content plans, that sort of thing, which was mostly for me, but I'm sure some people will enjoy reading the inside baseball sort of stuff. Yeah, I did something similar when the Epic Storm hit five years in 2020. Like, it's just nice to look back and see how far you've come. Another cool thing that you can do, or at least is what I did, was I used the Wayback Machine to see the first iteration of the site to now and look at the changes. It's sort of fun. Oh, I don't want to do that because my site mostly looks the same. The content has gotten better. The appearance? No. I, I, I do have some plans in the back pocket to uh, actually adjust some of that stuff, but I've been saying that for years, so <laughs> no promises. You mentioned your to-do list. Mine, for the first time in over two years, is completely empty other than YouTube video ideas. It feels really, really nice. Yeah, I, I have a lot of stuff queued up, but mine is very close to empty as well. I've had a productive uh, week here. So I guess I'll go next. Um, for MTG updates, I really only have one main point, and it's that maybe we should all be a little bit more open-minded towards, uh, and this fits into our topic for today, but towards spoilers and cards that are being previewed. Um, don't always think of the cards as this doesn't fit into this shell. Sometimes things require a rebuild or an entirely new deck. They don't always just slot in instead of another card. Um, there's a few cards that were spoiled for the Epic Storm that I was somewhat interested in. Strike It Rich 
which is a one red sorcery, create a treasure uh, token, and then flashback for two in red. And then uh, Galvanic Relay, which is a new red sorcery for two in a red, has Storm. Uh, you exile the top card of your library. You can cast that spell next turn. So these were two cards that I was like, hmm, these have possibilities. They were being talked about a little bit in the Storm Discord and some chats, and people were just really negative about them from the get-go without really thinking of the possibilities of these cards. And I just don't think it's how you really want to be. Uh, it's, I mean, I used to think that way too. Like when Hope of Gearper came out, I said, this is just a worse Xanad's format. I'd never play this. But I never stopped and thought about, well, like, well, this could theoretically turn on Mox Opal, which is something I did later when I had, you know, that growth. And it's just something that can help you be better. Like, I think Relay is actually pretty interesting. I don't want to go too deep on this. But uh, the next turn thing, that's like everyone's big hang up. I know these two cards aren't the same, but Necroponents also says next turn. Your Storm Engines don't always need to win the same turn. And I understand there's a gap in playability there, but... Don't let that one line of text bother you. Strong advice. Uh, I'm also shredding through my donation queue. I mentioned that I'm trying to get a clear by in time for Modern Horizons 2 to drop. Uh, that means I will be releasing videos seven days per week, just every single day at 10 a.m. It used to be weekdays. For the summer, I'm looking at seven days a week, and I hope it doesn't crash too hard in the fall when I have to go back to work and I can play Magic again, <laughs> and then I'm doing like three a week. But seven days a week is the plan for a while. And I'm also experimenting with some new editing software that automatically purges dead air. And I ran a two hour and 40 minute league through it this weekend and it came out an hour and 30 minutes long. So literally an hour and 10 minutes of irrelevant dead air time just came straight out of a video. So look for sleeker videos on my channel in the next couple of weeks. Uh, if it's like too fast and stressful, give me that feedback. If you love it, give me that feedback. Like I, I really want to keep trying to make those videos better for everyone. That's really awesome. I do have a fear. So uh, other content creators also do this sort of thing. I'm sure you know that, Brian. That said, I have my big stupid face on the screen. And I know that Phil also has himself on the screen. I'm afraid that if I were ever to do that, you would just see me glitching in the corner. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if it's yes. possible for the type of content that I create, but it's something I've thought about. Yeah, so the um, getting into some inside baseball stuff, uh, The when I ran that two hour and 40 minute video through the editing thing, it spits out, it cuts out the dead air and spits out a series of clips that you then merge back together into one video. It was 1,920 clips when I was done. So if you can imagine, if you, a human being, are on camera and you're moving at all or even, like, talking, I imagine we would see you, like, glitch or tweak out, like, 1,920 times over the course of the video, and that would be really distressing. So uh, I, I don't... Yeah, I don't know if that would work if you're actually on camera. And my... The, the only reason that I'm not on camera in my videos is that I don't want to worry about that second layer of uh, presentability. Like, I want to roll out of bed with my hair crazy, just wearing my PJs and record if that's what I want to do. Uh, and now it seems like that's dovetailing perfectly into this new editing option. <laughs> so uh, I lucked out by being lazy, I guess. All right. I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes, because... 
either it'll be really funny to watch because it'll be so horrible or it'll be really good and i might need to steal your idea either way it's winning for me uh well it is tuesday right now it'll be thursday or friday when this video goes live all of the videos this week use that technology so two are live now uh two more will be live by the time the readers are hearing this i've said readers twice like this is a a book so thank you for reading our pod book, by the way, everyone, <laughs> since I, I seem to be locked in on that. All right, let's uh, let's get into the thick of it. Um, so uh, there's a lot of legacy podcasts and a lot of places that are kind of combing through every playable card in this set. And there's there's a shit ton. We're not going to do that. We're going to talk about like four cards and talk about them a bit more exhaustively. And then depending on how long we've uh, ranted and rambled for, we might do a couple of quick hits at the end. And we're going to start with arguably the best card from the set, Dragon's Rage Channeler. And it's bananas. It's it is so good. It is disgusting that I have to say arguably because that speaks to just the sheer power level of this set. All right, let me read this man pajama for our, our auditory medium listeners who cannot see it with their eyes. I thought they couldn't read uh, it. Uh, I've learned from my mistakes. Alright, so Dragon's Rage Channeler. This is a one red mana creature-human shaman. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, surveil one. Surveil is, of course, look at the top card of your library. You may put it in your graveyard. And then it has Delirium. As long as there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, Dragon's Rage Channeler gets plus two, plus two, flying, and attacks each combat if able, and... It's a 1-1 one, one at base stats, if I didn't say that. So once you are delirious, it's a 3-3 three, three flyer that has to fight. And it has a static ability that provides card selection and helps get it delirious. So let's talk about this thing. I, I get, like, there's so many places to start with this one. Um, why don't we start with the surveil ability? What do we think about that? Okay, so... Uh, let, are are we just imagining that this is a one red mana enchantment with no power and toughness and just when you cast a non-creature spell surveil like is that the thought experiment or are we well like how, i was more interested how deep dive are we going i here? was more interested in how good is this surveil ability you know should we be viewing this as oh sometimes that does something or this is giving us real tangible value you know is is this attacked on line of text or is this important well, on average, I think you will get to surveil, and I think this is a low estimate, three to four times. Like, realistically, I think that's a reasonable number for this card to surveil. And you getting to fix the quality of your draws three or four times over the course of a game, while possibly getting a Delver of Secrets attached, is just degenerate. So many people read this card and forget that it gains flying. Wow. Yeah, so Surveil is, of course, powerful. In, uh, so we, we're constantly talking about, in the legacy community, legacy uh, content is constantly talking about how you manipulate your cantrips. Like, how do I stack this ponder? Can I shuffle this brainstorm? So if you brainstorm, you Surveil 1 first. If you don't like that card, it's gone. So Brainstorm now sees 4, just right off the bat. And then if you don't find a shuffle... You put two back, you ponder, you surveil one of those two cards away, and now instead of working through two dead cards, you're working through one dead card, and the ponder sees more. So you're basically adding one extra look to every cantrip you cast, where 
these decks are entirely based on the cantrips finding the cards you need and getting extra looks to improve card quality. So this surveil is not flavor text. This is very much an important aspect of the card. It's like a Tarmogoyf that grows itself, too. Like, it starts off as that 1-1, but you cast a couple of cards, you will surveil stuff into the graveyard that will grow it. And if you want to get spicy, you can also just be surveilling stuff and, like, working towards a delve creature as well. We might be going away from those because Delirium, but, you know, there still might be one or two of those in the 75 somewhere. Well, I think that there's also some cards that we could be playing to improve our Delirium. A card that everyone knows that I'm obsessed with, Mishra's Bobble. To me, it's a no-brainer. So one, it's insane with expressive iteration, which means that you can cast an iteration on turn two, hit that free spell, and put a card to your hand while creating Delirium. Uh, and if you play a Dragon's Dragon's Rage Channeler on turn one into turn two iteration, hit that bobble, there's a pretty good chance that you're Delirious on turn two now. Um, and it's not out of the question. It's, you know, it's really good. Uh, but there does some, it comes with a little bit of friction, right? Uh, because if you're playing Mishra's Bobble, that is a card that doesn't trigger Dalver of Secrets. But I think the cost is pretty low because such a large portion of your deck is instants and sorceries, where having a few copies of Mishra's Bobble um, isn't really going to hurt you that much. I think you do have to make some deck building concessions in order to play this card optimally. Like when you're playing Delver, you, you want a crap ton of instants and sorceries that can help set up the top of your library, right? Well, with this card, you really want more than just the traditional types of cards in your deck. Like you want an artifact, an enchantment, a tribal card, or something like that. So I would not be surprised to see, you know, a seal of fire or a tar fire or something of that nature find its way into the 75 somewhere just as another card that can help. Uh, get this thing delirious or you have delirium however you want to say that um, early on consistently i think that chain lightning is a slot that a lot of people will look at for these sort of effects previously a lot of decks that were looking for you know sorcery for tarmogoyf looked at chain lightning because otherwise you just had ponder with expressive iteration that's changed you now have eight super playable sorceries in your deck where chain lightning isn't you know, as necessary as it was in the past. Yeah, and you're you are definitely gonna have to play bobbles and tar fires and that sort of thing. Um I have played with delirium spells in Delver shells before. I played invasive surgery for a while in my Grixis Delver sideboard back in the day. And I will tell you that card was never delirious. Like it didn't matter how long the game went. Uh I, I never I think I played like three tournaments, three major tournaments, like uh, Star City level events with Invasive Surgery in my sideboard. I won one of those tournaments, and I promise you Invasive Surgery never exiled anything. So, but I was just, I just had it as mostly envelop with upside, uh, rather than actually trying to surgical extract everything with it. It was just like flavor text that sometimes was great. Uh, But if you're really trying to get this uh what is this card called uh dragon rage channeler into the red zone as a three three you're gonna have to make some significant deck building considerations to that end i like phil's idea of tar fire i don't know if phil read that somewhere or just thought of it himself but it's brilliant it gives you two of the three or two of the four fetch land is you know super easy which just means that you have to cast a sorcery like 
or surveil into a creature. I mean, or a bobble. Yeah, like that seems really good and a quick way of enabling it to me. Nah, that's that's my tech. Ever everyone can have it. Other people, I'm sure, have already thought of it. But when you play enough bad donation deck lists, you're just like, I have, I have just the tech from this Grim Flayer League for you. Let me tell you. Yep. And all of this is uh, public information. If you go back two years or so, look at the the Jun Shadow lists. Uh, they had Tarfire, they had Seal of Fire, they had Mishra's Bauble, they were playing Grim Flayer. Like, if you want to get delirious, you should use Modern as your your benchmark. Like, go go look at those old old Shadow lists because they were really in on that. So why don't we talk a little bit about the power of evasion? So when people often, uh, at least what I've read so far through like Reddit and other forums, Dragon Rage Channeler, this card is always compared to Monastery Swift Spear. Is that a fair comparison? Let's start there. Hell no. What are you scared of in Delver? It's the shit that flies that you can't chump block. It's that giant, you know, sprite dragon. It's 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 the whale that like you just don't have a blocker for on turn five or or whatever. And the fact that this has evasion will mean that every single creature that you are playing in Delver has evasion at some point in the game. And that is terrifying. Yeah, that's a really big upgrade for this deck. I've watched people play this West Spear builds and Swift Spear will get in there the first few turns and then it's chump blocked the rest of the game. So if you're not like, you know, playing mutagenic growth or something crazy, like it ends up being a little lackluster late. And that also determines the is determined by the context of the deck because in delver uh yeah sure like nimble mongoose is unplayable for a reason these days uh but if like uh, assuming we're we've only talked about this card in the frame of a delver deck uh if we're talking about like red prowess or is it prowess uh which i got absolutely dumpstered in one of my leagues recently in legacy by red prowess i just like died from 18 and i was extremely impressed but like does that deck want a card like this uh or like is this a delver exclusive conversation so the the question of like comparing it to monastery swiss spear requires more context uh unless we are just assuming we're playing blue red delver uh, is is that the brain space we're working from here for this episode that's what i was guessing based on yeah. the previous conversation Okay. All right. Uh, that's fine. Uh, I, I will reframe my thoughts for that and just make sure that the, the listeners are, are with us here. So we were specifically talking about, is it Delver or possibly with a, a third color, but a core, is it Delver deck? Yeah. So just for background, for those of you who might not be playing a ton of Legacy, right now, pre-Modern Horizons 2, Blue Red Delver is probably the best deck in the format and it is getting a shot in the arm. That's why we're so zeroed in on this deck right now. Uh, it is unquestionably the deck to beat now, and it's still going to be the deck to beat. There just might be branching directions that the deck goes, because there's another really good card that we'll talk about in a minute or two. <laughs> so if you combine, uh, is it Delver with Blue-Red Delver? Is it Delver's 10% of the metagame right now, and Delver and Rug Delver's 5%? So 15% of the metagame right now is Delver variants. And the next deck down is they're listing it as bug control, but it's both Grixis and bug control combined into one. And that's 5%. And that's the next most popular deck according to Goldfish. And I mean, you need to take Goldfish data with a grain of salt because it's intentionally watered down by wizards to make it look more diverse. 
So that 15% is much larger than we actually know because they're not giving us the full metagame picture. So Delver's everywhere right now, and it is dominating, and it's only getting better. Every time I play a donation league with a deck that has a bad Delver matchup, I'm just, like, praying, like, please, please don't let it be three or four rounds versus Delver. Like, I can't take it. I got absolutely dumpstered by something that just could not beat Delver to save its life today. And it was a brutal league. All right, guys, I have a few questions for you. The first is, what do we think of must attack on Dragon Rage Channeler? So it, it, it's a downside. Like, it, it's less flexible than a Delver in that regard. But I don't actually think that's all that bad. So at, at its base stats, it's, it's a 3-3 flyer once it has that ability. And there's not a ton of things that just easily trade with that early in the game. When you reach the later stages of the game, you can start running into things like, say, a Flicker Wisp that, that can trade with it. Um, but there's not very many bodies in Legacy that are just going to eat that and come out unscathed. Uh, it's more fringe playables, uh, like Restoration Angel, Shifting Ceratops, I'm stretching here um it's it's hard to not trade with that body yeah i mean it it is uh among the biggest things uh trading off delver i the nightmare scenario is of course a mother of runes and flicker wisp and you just get a free meal um uh they they show and tell or reanimate a grizzle brand and you don't get to you know dance around that at all you just have to ram in and give them seven life like those are the the nightmare scenarios uh, but if Grizzlebrand's in play against your Delver deck, you've probably lost already. Uh, but you do lose some angles of like the block with Delver, bolt my own Delver to stop lifelink, win on the crackback. Like there, things happen there that must attack deny. So it it's not a huge drawback, but it is a drawback. The only thing that I think I would add to that is that usually Blue Red Delver wants to be the aggressor. And if you're ever in a situation where you wanted to block, you're probably already losing. Like, these Delver Shells are not meant to be playing defense, at least these sort of builds. So I think if you're ever in that situation, it likely didn't matter to begin with. I I think that's, I, I mean, like, while widely true, I think is, like, pretty reductive of the, the cost because the the point of these delver shells when they start adding cards like expressive iteration and ethereal forager is so they can pivot onto now i'm on d let's rebuild for a minute and get those last seven points across like uh just deciding like pedal to the metal like if i'm on d i'm losing uh before you come in uh, i i think doesn't give these decks enough credit for what they're actually doing for what it's worth uh the list that i've seen so far in chat groups and other places uh whale is not in them like from what i've seen it is 12 creatures it is delver secrets dragon's rage channeler and sprite dragon um sure uh, if you're already in the future metagame of what decks might look like i'm talking about what is it delver does now okay. and this you're you're talking more like an is it prowess style Versus like an is it Delver style. Like the modern deck is it prowess with like Swift Spear, Soulscar Mage, Stormwing Entity, Gutshot, like let's get in there. Uh there is a a legacy version of that, but this this current dominating, you know, 15% of the metagame Delver shell is a you know, pressure you early, 
pivot to card advantage in the mid game, get the last points across kind of shell, and the liquidity of Delver playing the role it needs to play is the strength of Delver, at least in recent years. Uh, like the the things that have cracked Delver to to being too good are like the Deathrite Shaman, the Uro, or the Oko, the De- Dreadhorde Arcanist, and Expressive Iteration is. I mean, it, it, I don't think it's bandworthy, but it, it's like in that conversation with things that pulled Delver out of its like 2011 nimble mongoose, let's get 20 across or bust mindset. So I, I think that this like 8-1 drop for a Sprite Dragon balls to the wall deck is just a different deck than what we're seeing right now. I do also want to say that in the last month, I've probably seen more Delvers block than in any other metagame I've ever played in, because the Delver is the sacrificial lamb so that the Sprite Dragon can get another hit in later. I've I've come across that a lot, where someone blocks with the Delver and then crashes in for five or six with the Sprite Dragon to finish me off. So this isn't in the show notes, but it's a thought that I've had. Something nice about Dragon's Rage Channeler is it's the first Delver threat in these blue-red Delver decks. Um that's going to be see play because like there are the like the prowess builds but they're not as popular uh that doesn't die to pyroblast it is not a blue creature so like right now whale spray dragon delver all die to pyroblast uh that is not true of channeler and i just think that's interesting yeah but it also like doesn't pitch to force a will so like there's color advantages and disadvantages too they all die to lightning bolt which if you're playing Tarfire instead of Lightning Bolt, could be a huge problem in the mirror. It's interesting. I like that. Yeah. So that that brings us into our, uh, is Delirium actually a steep cost? That's our next bullet point. And how much worse is Tarfire than Lightning Bolt? Just on on rate. Uh, if Like, is getting this 3-3 into the air worth playing you know, Shock over Lightning Bolt? Because Shock doesn't see Legacy play, folks. I'm sorry to disappoint you, uh, but that card is much worse than Bolt um, as far as pressuring Planeswalkers and uh, like that. That is a cost of Delirium. Are we for a clarification? I think Brian is more talking Chain Lightning than actual Lightning Bolt. Like I can't imagine people cutting actual copies of Lightning Bolt, but I could be wrong. I mean, like the the lists have what like one Chain Lightning in them, maybe two. Two is pretty uh, standard, like, yeah. So I, I mean, I haven't run the the numbers but if we are going turbo like let's get this dragon's rage channeler into the air uh we want it on turn two like if we're talking about like play this thing play mishra's bobble surveil literally whatever that card is crack bobble tar fire you in for three like if that's the plan i don't think you get to play two tar fires and that could like start eating into that the lightning bolt range like maybe three and three is what people end up with and even on just chain lightning on rate two is a lot less than three i i think what's weird about it specifically is i think in a vacuum having one copy of a card that does three versus two is not that big of a deal but in this world where you're going to play a shit ton of delver mirrors if you're playing in something like say a showcase challenge or something like that the fact that your removal spell won't eat a dragon rage channeler that's delirium that has delirium is kind of a big deal or if someone is still on ethereal foragers and you're not like we've talked about this in the on the pod in the past like 
the solution to grow was uh, Splash White, make it bigger. Back in the day, the solution to Is It Delver with uh, Treasure Cruise was Jeskai Stoneblade with Treasure Cruise. Like you just go a little bigger, uh, dance around what the, the level zero obvious answer is and just put some x3s in your deck if everyone's on tar fire and uh, you'd start you'll start getting those points back so uh the the deck building is definitely a cost of of delirium i don't know if the two of you have seen it but a few uh very intelligent minds have tweeted out over the last few days the showcase is this upcoming weekend this episode will drop before then but people are calum smith was one of them play gut shot this weekend um Kills Dragon Rage Chandler, kills Delver Secrets, and kills the next her that we're going to talk about, Ragavan, uh, Nimble Pilfer. There's a lot of targets right now. Uh, Elves is also a tier one deck. It has a Alasaur lot of targets. Alasaur Shepherd is strong. <laughs> yeah, so Gut Shot is a card people are um, expecting to play on their boards this weekend. This goes back into the conversation that Brian was just talking about, where is it good enough? Um, because sometimes this channeler is going to come into play with three three is one damage is that a steep cost for the mid game because it doesn't answer well that sort of thing you'll be really ahead in the early game but it's going to be maybe embarrassing late yeah this is a really interesting space to play in and like gutshot being a zero mana thing that puts an instant in your graveyard and triggers your surveil like you you could zap one of their things and make your thing a three three with one spell but again, we we were just talking about the difference between three and two damage. The difference between two and one or even three and one is just horrendous. Like you're going to look like a genius some percent of the time and a complete idiot some other percent of the time. And uh, I I suspect that things will just drift average out to we just play lightning bolt and over time and, and like stop getting cute. Uh, that's not to say that this card won't get played. It's just that I think that the early days where we see like three bolt three tar fire are going to fall away pretty quickly that's just my thought um another uh sort of like mirror image of delver and dragon rage channeler are delver always arrives as a one one but once it flips it's there delirium uh delirium rage channel <laughs> dragon rage channeler could arrive as a three three if you're delirious but you could lose delirium as a surprise like uh attack surgical extraction block could be a thing that we see the old or, tarmogoyf or tricks. just like yeah the, like the old tarmogoyf tricks but instead of like going from four or five to three four it's one one no longer flying like uh just block like uh it, just like uh return to nature or uh the the new there's a new green command that's like choose two, make two squirrels, uh, stifle a planeswalker ability, exile a card from a graveyard, gain three life. Like, just that. Just remove the weird card. You know, nip your nip your tar fire, block your idiot with my squirrel. Like, these are all... Like, I would be really worried, because Delirium is not easy to get. We've been talking about how we have to jump through hoops to it. How many artifacts and tribals are you going to play to make sure it sticks, like, through uh, it, some spell? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I think that Delirium is going to be harder to get and keep than a lot of people think. Uh, again, I'm not saying this card is bad. I think this card is good. But 
it's not just a one mana three three flyer there's a lot of work that has to go into it on both the deck building and the deck and like the gameplay level to get it there and keep it there yeah i we'll we'll talk about a, a certain green card that is very sexy and might hose the ever loving crap out of this card in a bit i am i am so hot on endurance that card is great let's pause that for a second so i'm gonna have a take <laughs> here that i think brian is going to disagree with based on his previous statement but in my opinion this is the best one mana creature printed for the temple archetype since Deathrite shaman i think dragon rage i mean that's Chandler... a pretty specific claim like sure but <laughs> you can have but there's one. been so many uh hex drinker that top eight at a grand prix um terramander like there's been other things since then that have just not stuck around uh i th i'm a real believer in dragon rage channeler i think the card's bananas so i i think that bar is pretty low uh, i agree there are many things have been printed but like terrible mander the the real nickname <laughs> um uh, people tried that for like a week and then we're like oh this card is unplayable um and to be fair let, let's let's dig into this uh the thing that Terramander needed to get big was a stocked graveyard, right? Correct. What other card meets that criteria? <laughs> so I It's this one. The difference was speed. Uh correct me if I'm wrong, but like Terramander needed eight cards, maybe eight. seven? Yeah, it's a million. It's like blue and seven to evolve yeah, it. I mean, that's pretty different. Like, you can have turn two active delirium where that was always turn four or five. Like, the issue was timing. Uh, so I would argue that uh, Terramander was more on speed with Nimble Mongoose, where this is more on speed with Delver. Uh, so I, I will push back a little there. I think nothing is on speed with Delver. I think that the, the rate at which Delvers are blind flipped that will nothing like you you can build your deck however you want you're not going to flip or activate or become live whatever you want to call it as often as you flip delver so like if your opening hand has like volcanic island delver this card you're going to lead on delver every single time that was going to be an upcoming question but i agree i would usually lead on delver that said i don't think that this is that far behind it no i think this is the closest thing we have to another copy of delver this is this is scary consistency in a deck that's already pretty darn consistent. Yeah, uh, I will definitely agree that this is the closest thing to playing eight Delvers that the archetype's ever gotten. Though I, I will say I am, I am softer on this than than you guys are. Um, I, I think it will be good, but I think that the deck building costs of uh, what are you cutting for this? It's the Ethereal Foragers. It's the like Brazen Borrowers. It's the, I don't know, True Name Nemesis. Does anyone play that card anymore? But you're you're cutting top end and like mid game for a, a even a heavier small game. And that sounds like we're going backwards in technology, not forward. Because like the Nimble Mongoose, Stifle, Delver, uh, those packages back, you know, eight years ago, they aren't played anymore. So, uh, I, I think this deck is powerful, but I, I don't think that this is that much better than Monastery Swift Spear, that we're going to get a totally rejuvenated archetype out of it. I agree with half of your statement. I think the difference is that Expressive Iteration and specifically Sprite Dragon give you that little bit of extra mid-game. Uh, I think they give you a lot of mid-game. I don't think they give you great late-game. 
So I think you have the insane early game and very good mid game. And if you can stall these decks out late, you will probably beat them. That said, you have to get to that late game in order to do that. And their early game is so strong where it's going to be difficult. Yeah, the 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 thing that you're losing um, is a different threat. Like, uh, in, in this 8-1 drop Force Bright Dragon deck, Fatal Push kills everything, no revolt required. Uh, just like these sort of small one-for-one answers, uh, just always get it. Abrupt Decay hits every single one of those things. Uh, like, you don't have, like, the Gurmag Angler that can't get Abrupt Decayed. You don't have the Ethereal Forager that can't get uh, Fatal Pushed. Like, so presenting like different kinds of threats is as important as presenting more threats so uh that's also like if if delver becomes blue red prowess the answers can become mono one drop removal spells and and check that uh it's uh like i think that we have an interesting metagame coming forward like uh I, I don't want anyone to walk away thinking that Brian thinks his card sucks because that's just not true. I think it is good and it will be played and it's something we're going to have to consider for a long time. But I, I don't think it is literally Delver 2. I think we're going to have a spectrum of blue-red Delver decks. I, I don't think there will be one best build for at least the first month of its existence. Because there are going to be people trying to play this, like, I want to be bigger than you game very consistently. And there's going to be other people who are trying to play the I'm trying to go under you game. And I think there is going to be various sizes of that deck that are appropriate for given weekends. And it's going to be really hard to tell based on one game which exact flavor of Delver you are going to be playing against. Because it's going to be a blue-red Delver deck, but some of them might be blue-red Delver with 12 one-drops, including Ragavan. Some of them might be much larger with the Ethereal Foragers, uh, and those those cards require very different responses. That was going to be my next point. Some people might not be playing Dragon Rage Channel at all. They might be on 4 Ragavan, and that's their game plan because nothing's defined yet. That said, as good as Ragavan is, I don't think it touches Channeler. So we've seen this sort of split before. A few years ago, uh, Blue Red Delver was a hot deck and Storm Chaser Mage was the new tech for it. And people realized that Storm Chaser Mage could not be supported in the same mana base as Wasteland. So if you saw Storm Chaser Mage, you didn't have to play around Wasteland and vice versa. So like, I think those subtle cues will emerge over time and we, we just... It's TBD what they are. And like, if you don't see a channeler in game one, but your opponent casts Tarfire, like the jig is up, or even Mishra's Bobble, like, I, I think that there's going to be significantly more cues that your opponent has channel in their deck than ever there was about Storm Chaser Mage and, and Wasteland back in the day. So I, I think we'll get some pictures, unless like, like, if you go a whole game, without seeing a channeler, a bobble, a tar fire, or, or some like weird smoking gun that shouldn't be in the deck without channeler, I think it will be reasonably safe to put them on not that version. So I, I think that that will be less mysterious than we think. But again, that, let's see how it shakes it's out. It's not guaranteed, but the versions with expressive iteration and Sprite Dragon, they're less likely to have Wasteland. 
Uh, it goes back to right. the needing blue red, and Wasteland doesn't help you cast those. So I think we're more likely to see fiery islets in those builds, um, at least from what I've seen so far. Right. So so there will be hints. We'll get them. Yeah. And and then you're sitting there with your fetch land, being like, "Can I get this Bayou right now?" I don't think they have Wasteland, but if they do, I am screwed. And a lot of times you have you're just forced to play around it anyway. Also, Stifle has dropped yeah. off quite a bit with Iteration, just pointing that out as well. Yeah, those cards don't go well together. Um, uh, like, as we've seen, as Delver Shells get better and lean into card advantage more, Delver or uh, Stifle just drops off quickly because that card does not lend itself to long or even mid-sized games. Like, that is a 8-1 drop kind of card. All right, are we ready to talk about the monkey pirate that was way longer than i thought we were going to talk about channeler that was awesome that's all right that that's what we're here for we're the ones going deep we're not the ones uh, doing every card so let's talk about ragavan because i think this fits in with uh channeler i think i think these cards are in the same conversation um it's almost unfortunate they were that they were printed at the same time because this is one of those things where if either one of these had been printed independently, people would be testing the ever-loving crap out of them. And ultimately, one of these is probably going to be better than the other and largely force the other out of existence. So you could argue that that's actually more fun, that uh, y- you have to figure out which one of these or which combination of these is correct. But let me read this card before we talk about it too much. So Ragavan, Nimble Pilferer is a one red mana, two one monkey pirate, legendary creature. When Ragavan deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library. Until end of turn, you may cast that card. And it has dash for one and a red. Dash is you can cast it for its dash cost. It arrives with haste and it's returned to your hand at the end of the turn. So the immediate just level one um bob wong actually tweeted this is one mana dreadhorde arcane which (laughs) so uh that is of course hyperbole it might have been a troll tweet i don't even know i saw it for one second and dismissed it outright but the comparison to dreadhorde arcanist that is what we're here to talk about so this is a one mana two one if it connects it generates card advantage and mat or it generates mana advantage for sure and might generate card advantage also. So the and, and let's let's look at the numbers on this real quick. So if you're on the play, you cast this card. Your opponent just doesn't have a blocker or doesn't have a removal spell turn one. Uh you attack, you connect, you get your treasure, you have your land drop for the turn, you can cast up to a three drop off of their deck on turn two. So the mana explosivity of this is insane and like even even if you just like ignore the fact that it exiles delver ramping is scary uh, like even if they're just like uh connect with this expressive iteration off the treasure make my land drop off expressive iteration plus two cards go uh that that's all obviously insanely powerful i have a deck building question for the two of you this happens in other formats so when i was testing for the pro tour um i was playing demir uh, rogues and everyone was saying hey you need to be playing the jun try line so that way if you steal your opponent's scavenging use you can activate it well with ragavan how deep do you go 
are treasure tokens enough should you be playing like a random tropical island or a random tundra like these are just questions i'm asking but it opens up new deck space because then you could lean into things like uh, engineered explosives like there's things that you can do or you can just stay you know perfect mana base on blue red delver this is what i'm doing Uh, but these are options that you have I don't think this is a card that you need to jump through too many hoops when you're playing with it. And honestly, the times where you don't hit a banger from your opponent's deck, you can just keep that that extra mana around. Delver does well when it has more mana than you. Like when they have the, the mana advantage, they they get to set up the stuff that they want to set up. They can cantrip for the removal spell they, they want to cast. Um, I don't think you need to go out of your way because the cards that you're most likely to hit from your opponent's deck are blue, and like you can cast those off your lands anyway. So it's only when you're playing against, you know, your your death and taxes or your elves deck or something like that that you start really running into cards that you might not be able to cast. And then does it matter if you have to use your treasure to cast them? Probably not. Yeah, the the treasure does the work. Like it, it it this card is just tailor made to let you cast the card that you flip. Like, unless you, like, connect and flip, like, Palace Jailer, like, white-white, or, like, Flicker Wisp with a white-white cost. Like, that treasure is going to cast what you hit. Legacy is defined by its efficient mana cost. I guess if you're blue-red and you hit Abrupt Decay, you're not casting that. Uh, like, their cards have to cost, like, off-color, off-color. Like, two colors that aren't in your deck. And we all know how I build legacy decks and I will not do anything that makes my mana base more susceptible to wasteland than it has to be in any deck. So no, I'm not putting a Tundra in my, my blue red Delver deck or a random underground sea, just one of each, the full Arnold Palmer just cut all your basics, play all the base, all the duels. What, what is it? Uh, is it reflecting pool that, that is your opponent's lands? There's one of them that's your opponent's uh, lands. It's a uh, forbidden, not forbidden orchard. It's exotic. Orchard. Yeah. I, I don't want the exotic orchard for, uh, for sure. Sick value. Okay. So this is similar to my last question, but would, is it better to be a three color Delver deck than just blue red Delver with Ragavan? Like, are you more likely to play this card if you're Grixis, for example, instead of Dragon Rage Channeler, because that extra color is available. I think the most important thing with this card is just that you're playing a high density of removal that lets this thing get in. Like, if if you yeah. are playing this card, you need to be able to connect with a 2-1 monkey every turn. It's It's just, you know, absolutely critical to your plan. And so... If the format is such that Lightning Bolt isn't going to be removing things, you need to be into a third color to enable this thing. Yeah, so there's there's more deck building tension there. So I think Blue-Red Delver, uh, if you want to go full Ragavan, first of all, you have to play four of it, and it's a legend that's already a deck building cost. Uh, drawing multiple legends sucks. Um, Blue-Red, uh, you get all your Lightning Bolts, uh, Bolts, Chain Lightnings, uh, figure out where you want to go from there. And then you probably have to get into Vapor Snag and, and like that sort of stuff. Maybe uh, Suspend, which is another card from this set, uh, which temporarily removes a creature, uh, lets you get in a couple more times. Uh, but once you get into Grixis or Rug, uh, I mean, green doesn't help you remove creatures, so you probably have to be Grixis if we're having this conversation. And delver uh, it's a 18 19 land deck you keep one landers a lot of the time if that one land is underground sea sorry 
like a nice Ragavan, nice four Ragavans in your deck. And if you cast this thing, even on turn two, that's probably too late. Because unlike Dreadhorde Arcanist, which had the thickest ass imaginable, just one three for some reason, also it triggers on attack, not on connect. So you have this 2-1, dies to a stiff breeze, blocked by anything, chumped by anything. Just, gut shot. Uh, yeah, shot through the gut, uh, and you're too late. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of problems with Ragavan. Caracas. Where, yeah, also Caracas, Jesus. Uh, uh, like, I can see sort of like the mid-game Ragavan being more interesting. So, like... Uh, we we did the thought experiment of like what if we want to just snowball with Ragavan every game uh, what if we put like two Ragavans in Grixis Delver and so when we settle into that mid game situation we just dash when it's convenient flip a card maybe get a card get some mana and then like whoop, pick it back up and then they have to respect that the rest of the game and all of their attacking and blocking decisions like I think that's more interesting than this turbo Ragavan deck that we just described uh it, but again is that better than just playing like expressive iteration or painful truths or uro <laughs> just be a different color play uro in your deck uh, is that the engine we're looking for? i do think there's one scenario where i actually like ragavan and it's that as and this is going to sound weird because delver decks currently don't do this but as a sideboard option against combo and control decks you could have two of this in your board it's a one drop, so in those matchups you want to be aggressive. They don't have blocking creatures generally, um, so you're just naturally set up against these two archetypes, where you don't need to have the removal. Um, you can board out your additional copies of Chain Lightning or Lightning Bolt or whatever, and you just have this very efficient creature. Yeah, I know Jarvis. What when he top aided GP Atlanta in 2019? I know he was really big on just having one or two more one drops than the stock list had. Uh, he had Hexdrinker in his deck and basically he was describing like the games where you're on board on turn one are just so different than the games that you're not. And we've all felt that like when our Delver opponents like land ponder and you're just like, Oh, sweet relief. That's better. My, I, I just swung 20% in this matchup based on that one play. And, uh, that makes perfect sense and jarvis knows how to build legacy decks so ragavan could certainly be in the conversation for like i have four delvers and then like do i play a hex drinker do i play a ragavan etc like i think the dash makes this a defensible card to put in your deck as something short of a four of uh, just being it like surprise damage empty board card advantage like all of that stacks up in a way that makes it more interesting than if it was just actually jackal pup with extra text there's also some worlds where you view this card as a way to accrue mana like there's a lot of decks that really want to make the the jump from like say two to four or or something like that and there may be some deck that emerges that just wants to connect with this a couple of times and then slam some bullshit red card a couple turns earlier i don't know what that looks like yet this is just kind of a passing thought um but with other red cards like say goblin lackey the ability to cheat on mana in a red deck is is valuable right i can't wait for uh red prison to adopt 
tavern on monkey for Simeon spirit guide and this monkey or isn't spirit guide an ape it's not even a monkey. i believe it is an ape spirit wow what a blowout i'm off it i hate that idea i'm bad now. i want to quit magic poor goblins though we're over here talking about gut shots and they're just over there trying to play defenseless goblin lackeys I, I will never agree to the statement of poor goblins. Uh, they they had their time in the sun. They've existed. They've existed as long as any legacy deck. Like that. Uh, that was a type one five deck, and then it became a legacy deck. The best uh, deck it, in historic for a while. Yep, it got second place at GP Flash. Flash was legal, and goblins got second place in that tournament. Like, come on, I I, I do not feel bad for goblins. Like. It's okay that it's not tier one anymore because that deck has a history that very few other magic decks can compete with. So no poor goblins. Gut shot that lackey. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Is there more to say about Ragavan? That's what I was going to ask. Do we want to talk about Phil's favorite card? Oh, yeah. Let's let's get going on that. Um, but before we do, I just want to say Ragavan is totally a card of a power level. Where if someone puts together the the right seventy five and you know breaks the monkey, it it could be very strong. Uh, but I am more excited about Dragon Rage Channeler than I am about this card currently by quite a bit. It could also go into Pirate Travel. Uh, yes, uh, that's true. Make it a uh, blue red instead of mono blue. All right, let's talk about Endurance. I love this card. I also love this card. I am not right. in love with this card. I mean, I wrote half a page of show notes on this, so you don't have to be. Good. All right. It's one and two green for an elemental incarnation. It's a three four with flash and reach. When it ETBs, up to one target player puts all of the cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library in a random order. And it also has Evoke, and you can evoke it for exiling a green card from your hand. This is part of a cycle of cards that do the same thing. So, as a starting point, this is a Graveyard Hate sideboard option for green decks, but I think this is only scratching the absolute surface level of what this card can do. I think this card is absolutely insane, and if I think this was, if this was a normal, non-Modern Horizons, Modern Masters, whatever you want to call it, power level set, I think this easily would have been in contention for the best card in the set for an eternal format purpose. It's very versatile. Yeah. It's it's like green sun level of, of versatility. This card is very strong. I'd like to clarify me saying that I was not in love with this card is just me being upset that it exists. I'm going to have to play <laughs> around this card and I don't like it. Yeah. This is like a green creature that you have to be worried about as instant speed and that's terrifying because normally like the green deck passes the turn after playing a fucking Llanowar elf and you're like ha, you're dead idiot game two i'm mostly worried about modern where i'm like trying to play underworld breach and stuff and like there's no way of knowing if your opponent has this it's just they either have it or they don't like there's no signals or tells like i don't know that's just another thing that you have to think about and free free magic the gathering cards just ugh, hate them unless they're in my deck then i love them they've never been a problem before in the past i don't know why oh, I, I can't even do that <laughs> yeah you understand What's we're, we're hosting a legacy podcast right now free spells are kind of our thing <laughs> all right so 
let's start with the graveyard hate ability. We have a Tormod's Crypt-ish uh, level loam, card. What, what was that creature? Loam, not Loam Dryad. Loaming Shaman. Loaming, Loaming Shaman. Loaming, that's what it was. Yeah. All right. So we have a, a Loman, Loaming Shaman at a Tormod's Crypt cost, but it's an instant. So you get to just cast the cards that you want to be casting, and you can still promote whatever your primary game plan is, and you don't telegraph this card. When you play like a Tormod's Crypt out or a Relic of Progenitus out, you are, you are telegraphing, this is the graveyard I hate I have. Can you beat this? Can you make me pop this? With Endurance, you're not doing that. You're just playing cards, and then your opponent goes for something, and, and you just get to no sir or no ma'am them, and just absolutely blow This them is out. in the show notes a little bit later, and uh, I'm sorry, Phil, for jumping ahead, but Maverick, Maverick finally has an answer to Doomsday. Uh, your opponent sacrificed this, that Lion's Eye Diamond. They put that Oracle on the stack. You blow them out. Uh, they're not coming back from that. So Doomsday is finally getting some main deck hate against it. Uh, that said, Phil, this is not a Death and Taxes card. So uh, it is it sure a isn't. nod towards Maverick, which is normally when new cards are printed, they tend to share them. This is a Maverick specific card, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, and I love that this solves the Maverick problem of playing against combo. Usually when you're playing Maverick, you just get to interact on your turn at sorcery, sorcery speed. It, whether it's, uh, you know, you're, you're an Abzan build and you're thought seizing or you're playing a deafening silence. Most of the interaction that you have is at sorcery speed. And this is an instant that people have to respect or they will lose to it. So I just glanced over this, Phil, but this is a main deckable card. Like this doesn't need to be a sorcery. Or, I'm sorry, a cyborg card. Uh, and people might be listening to this going like, well, why is it a main deckable card? Like, Graveyard Hate isn't applicable to every single deck in the format. Well, a lot of decks have some Graveyard abilities, even Miracles, you know, they have their uh, fetch for a Mystic Sanctuary or whatever. Uh, but even let's pretend your opponent has nothing. Even Delver decks, this is going to mess with Delirium. We just talked about Dragon's, Dragon Rage Channeler. Let's pretend none of that's in play. It is still a 3-4 with Flash. And Reach. And Reach. So, name the creatures that this is going to blow out of the water. <laughs> fucking every creature in Death and Taxes is just going to fucking die to this card. Your Wisp is dead. Your Evoker is dead. Your Thalia is dead. Your creature that has a couple of counters from a Luminarch Aspirant probably still dies or trades with this. Like, it eats a Delver, it eats a Dragon Rage Dragon Channeler. Man. Like, this is a thick creature. Yeah, 3-4 is an enormous booty on this thing, and 3 mana is entirely castable. Uh, like, most of this Elemental Incarnation cycle costs, like, 4 and 5 uh, to actually get into play, which is, you know, in a game of Legacy, like, might happen if your deck's built that way, but ev green decks are going to get to 3 mana. Like, this could, this could pop off a Llanowar Elf on turn two or a Noble Hierarch. Like, you attack... So, like, okay, uh, I'm on the play. Noble Hierarch, go. You, Delver, go. Me, land, go. You, flip Delver, attack. Eat your Delver. Go to my turn, attack for four. GG. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, and, like, no, Lightning Bolt's not going to help you. So, like, this, this card just on stats. Like, on... Like, the ability, like, the evoke ability, um, the fact that you can 2 for one yourself to do this for free, uh, 
I think is medium. Like if it didn't have all the other words on it, I think that card kind of sucks. Uh, like it, it, it's just like a weird ravenous trap or like a, a, a kind of different like card like that. But the fact that you have this three for a body against death and taxes, like Phil just said, uh, but it's also this ravenous trap against oops, all spells and this, your deck has cards in it now against doomsday. Like, the specific words on this, this could have exiled a graveyard, but it didn't. It put cards from the graveyard back into the deck. So uh, this looks like a development card. So what I mean by that is that uh, there's a design and development in, in card design, where design are like, these are our neat ideas, and development is like, now we're going to make them playable. But some t- cards are created by development to solve specific problems that exist in Magic the Gathering. Uh, like Great Sable Stag is very much a development card because fairies was a problem for a year and a half. So this is like, okay, ha- what boxes can we check for eternal formats, period? And they're like, Delver, check. This thing didn't need to have reach, but they put it on there. Uh, get rid of graveyards? Sure. Uh, let's make it free. Like, there's a lot of reason to do that. But how are we going to get rid of the graveyard? What are we going to do about Doomsday? Oh, what if we can put cards back in the deck? Like th- this, I-, I feel like people sat around a conference table and just like shit all over everything that could be considered a problem in eternal formats <laughs> and just jammed it onto one card. And I mean that when I say shit all over, I mean like everyone who's trying to do some BS this is going to check a box for them. Uh, but I don't think that this card is outrageous. Uh, not any more than like, you know, Force of Negation or Mind Break Trap or Ravenous Trap or Leyline of the Void. Like, I, I, I don't think this, this just checks a lot of boxes, but it doesn't like check all of them in in ways that cards don't already do. You just get all of them in one spot, which is very I have exciting. a weird metagame question for the two of you. So typically, Hogak decks tend to be the blue uh, bullies. Like these decks, you know, they crush Rugged Oliver, they crush um, Control decks, all that good stuff. And they're getting a new tool with Grief. So we're expecting them to see, you know, a lot of play now. Grief would be the black version of Endurance. Um, I, I think Exile is a card, not Discards. Yeah, you Exile a black card to cast the... Uh... Let me let me pull it up so I don't lie to people. Uh, but it it's functionally unmasked, uh, but it's on a a creature. Like you evoke the creature instead of cast a sorcery, but it it does the same thing that. Okay, so we're does. expecting Gak to come back. All right, I've, uh, I've got it up. All right, Phil's got it. All right, so it's two colorless, two black for a three-two elemental incarnation with menace. When an ETB's target opponent reveals their hand, you choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. Okay, so it's discard. Right. Uh, yeah, you exile the black card as a cost. It makes your opponent discard. So it's not quite unmasked, because you can unmask yourself in, in certain situations. Uh, but it's very close to unmasked. So we're expecting Gak to go up and play. Gak is a deck that bullies these blue decks. Is Endurance existing a negative in that aspect that this card is going to wreck a deck that currently beats the blue decks like yes it is a tool against blue decks itself uh but do we see this being somewhat harmful in that aspect or is it just a net positive all around 
I've never found graveyard hate to be particularly great against Hogak, as weird as that sounds. The deck's oddly good at playing around a single piece of graveyard hate. It's when you really start bodying them with, like, the second one after clearing their board or something like that that things start to get problematic. But, like, one Surgical doesn't end Hogak. One Tormod's Crypt doesn't end Hogak. They'll, they'll just continue to do their thing if you give them time. So, like, this is a card that's good against Hogak. Maybe this is a card that even sees play in Hogak at some point. Um, but I don't think that this is the uh, the silver bullet that kills them by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, like, you To beat Hogak, you basically need a Rest in Peace, Leyline of the Void level hate piece, or a Grafdigger's Cage, backed by the ability to beat a board full of creatures. Like, you need to beat a bad Delver start, and you need to have a like serious graveyard hate piece at the same time and the endurance if you get up to that three mana like nuking their graveyard while you know blocking i mean trading off with a vengevine isn't the worst thing you could do you could just like block bloodgast for a while uh, like unfortunately all those cards are just going to come back like there's no permutation of triggers where you get to eat that creature in combat and then shuffled away with endurance but i mean endurance is not a legend you could play four of these if you want and just oh oh baby does... i want yeah and, and like it does just gum up the board in a meaningful way like maybe the first endurance nukes their graveyard trades with a vengevine the second one eats the vengevine and starts blocking bloodgast and sticking around so those are things you can do but i i, I really don't think well, for one, I don't think Grief is going to increase Hogak's meta share because Unmask is already a card. Like, uh, this is not a unique effect for uh, Legacy. It's a unique effect for Modern where Unmask isn't a card. But Oh, well, the difference is that in Hogak, it triggers Avengevine. And Bridge from Below. Yeah, I mean, th those are good things, but like, I, I don't expect anyone who wasn't already playing Hogak to be like, hell yeah, this is what I was waiting for. I do agree it, with that. It, it is an upgrade, but I'm not expecting a giant spike in Hogak, uh, and I, I'm not expecting Endurance to be the answer to it if there is that spike either. So we're, we're kind of talking about it as a way to fight unfair decks right now with things like Hogak, but up until maybe a week ago, Uro was one of the most popular things that was happening in the format. Like... That those sorts of cards are going to, you know, wax and wane and, and become popular. And this is just a nice main deckable way to clear the graveyard for fair stuff, whether it's delve or escape or snapcaster targets. Yeah, and control decks aren't very fast with uh putting cards to their graveyard. So if you, you know, endurance them once, you might have just bought yourself five time locks. It's a lot of fetch lands to replace. Yeah, and, and on that note, like, this puts cards back into their library, right? And there's going to be some weird scenarios where you filter a whole bunch of, like, bad draws back into your opponent's deck. Uh, yeah, so it, it does smartly put them in a random order on the bottom of the deck. It's not a full shuffle. So, like, you can't use this to, like, snipe a Terminus. Like, if your, your Miracles opponent, like, Brainstorms End Step, goes to their turn you can't like force a shuffle uh so there is that it also doesn't just throw all the cards into the the card draw pool again like phil just said but once they fetch or shuffle some other way those cards will be live to draw again 
Yeah, it, it's not an immediate thing. It's like, I am settling in for a 20-turn game, and I just put six fetch lands back into your deck on turn 11, sort of thing. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, I also think this gets this card gets better as more graveyard-based stuff is going on, or the graveyard stuff gets more powerful. Um, I'm no vintage expert. You know, I play vintage somewhat casually in the grand scheme of things, but I imagine that this card will see vintage play as well. Oh yeah, easily. Uh, this this affects a lot of things in vintage in meaningful ways. Uh, it avoids Thorn of Amethyst uh, because it's a creature. Uh, I mean, Thalia is not super popular, and Thorn is restricted, but like those cards do come up. And the fact um, that it's green means that it's very easy to find cards to pitch to it in the Hogak deck. Yeah, the the Gak deck that has Vengevine and it's already playing Force of Vigor, and this is just like another green. Like if you have like this card and Force of Vigor in your hand, either one can pitch to the other depending on what you need. That's all pretty exciting. Uh, I mean, free spells are are gonna get played in Vintage one way or the other, and I think this one's actually pretty good. And unlike some of the other cards that we've been talking about, like Ragavan, like you can play this card in multiples and it's great. Like you draw multiple, one pitches to the other, and that's fine. You draw multiple, okay. I, I pitched one to buy time early on. The second one is just a hate card that I hard casted. Um and they're just three fours. Like, they just beat. Uh at at the end of the day, like this card is just solid all around. Burning tree shamans. Yes. There's also some weird stuff that can happen with this card. Um, notably, this does say target player. So you can choose to target yourself if that's something you need to do. That should be a rarity, but like, Painter is a deck. Like, you could get grindstoned and then flash this thing in, put some cards on top of your deck again, and like, survive for another turn and crack for lethal. Or, like, one of your key cards got countered and you only have one of it, you can put it back in your deck and green sun it out. There's times where that phrasing may be relevant. Or in a control mirror and you're just getting close to decking. Uh, like, that does happen. Uh, on Magic Online, you tend to time out before you deck. Uh, but in in real life, like, the Miracle's Mirror, maybe some surgicals have popped off, the Uros are gone, nobody really has a win con left, and, like, you're both down to like 10 and 12 cards. Uh, this could just reset that whole game. So uh, summing it all up. So this is a graveyard hate card, Delver hate card, combat trip, uh, trick, oh shit button versus uh, Thassa's Oracle deck. It, it does a lot. I expect to see this as a multiple of in many sideboards. Um, and I, I know Julian said he wanted to test four of these in an Elves sideboard, for example. So... I expect to see a lot. Anything that makes oops all spells worse, I'm usually for. I did four win a league earlier today. My only loss was to oops. So uh, I'm in for endurance. Let's go. Uh, serious question, though. Um, if you have endurance versus oops, do you shuffle in response to the Oracle trigger or in response to the dread return? Do they only play one of each? I I'm trying to figure out if it matters. Uh, can they cast an Oracle? Probably off Lotus Petals, so I think you would do it with the Oracle Trigger on the stack. Uh, okay, I mean, that leaves them with a 1-3 in play. Uh, does that matter? Though, I guess, no, I, I guess you definitely do it. I haven't considered this. This wasn't a trap. I was just like, it came up in my brain. 
So I think you definitely respond to the Oracle trigger, because then if they reset and respy themselves, though I guess that doesn't matter, because then they can just therapy the Oracle back into the bin and dread return it again. So I'm trying to think of, like, can you catch the Oracle? Like, where is it worse for the Oracle to be? Well, they only have uh, one like, dread return, so they can't dread return no, they, again. They because have two of... sometimes. Really? Okay. Uh, the the list I lost to today had two, I promise. <laughs> uh, we, we can check the tapes. Uh, it was my Dead Guy L League. Uh, it, it should be out the same day as this podcast, I think. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I looked at their list. They had uh, two therapies, two dread returns, one bridge from below, like a tight little package. So, uh, like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> your mileage may vary. I guess, though, either way, though, the spy will have triggered already and you get to look at their whole deck and just make the decision that's right for you in that moment. Yeah. So if they only have one return, then you probably respond to the dread return and then they can never Oracle again. I don't know. Yeah, but I still think you do it with the Oracle trigger on the stack because otherwise, like theoretically, they can cast it off pedals. All right, fair enough. So, uh, we're we're gonna do an offshoot episode of delving into only this topic, the deep dive of the deep dive. We're gonna do a Sharzad episode, uh, talking about exactly when to interact with Thassa's Oracle decks. We'll look for that in the future. <laughs> Don't actually look for that; it's not happening. All right, Brian, I know you're excited for our next card here. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, this is among the weirdest cards that have ever been printed. And it was one of the first cards previewed. And the previous season's been so crazy that I feel like a lot of people have forgotten about it. And I'm talking about Urza's Saga. This is a, a throwback to the set called Urza's Saga, but now it's a card because Saga is now a creature or a card type and Urza has one. So, so this, can the, I pause you, Brian? Yes. I think the only reason, or I shouldn't say the only reason, the primary reason you like this card is that it fits into your Urza's tribal theme. You love, I love Urza. Urza. I love Urza so much. Like, absolutely love Urza. I, I've, I've had some tournament success with Urza, and I, I, just, I just get along with that card. It does things I want to do in Magic. You've probably read about Urza. You were really big into the books. Oh yeah, I I know everything there is to know about Urza uh, it, from from lore. Uh, also, uh, I have already decided that no matter what sweet tokens are printed in the future, if I win another Star City Invitational, I'm going to be a zero zero construct token. Like that's just a lock. Uh, like I, I don't care <laughs> when it happens. Uh, that's that's my plan. Okay, so Urza Saga. This is an enchantment land dash Urza Saga. <laughs> Soak it in, kids. It is an enchantment land. So uh, it does not have a mana cost. So you play it like a land. Uh, you can use it, it. You can do it as long as you have a land drop still available and you have priority on your own turn uh, and the stack is empty. So all of the rules about normally playing a land are true here. Um, the It is a three chapter saga. Um, so the way sagas work is that when it enters the battlefield and after your draw step each turn, so that's the beginning of your main phase, you add a lore counter to it. And the number of lore counters on it is the chapter it's on. So chapter one is Urza Saga gains tap add a colorless. So you play this card, it instantly triggers, puts a lore counter on it, you can tap it for one. Uh, so it, it it's a waste on the first chapter. The second chapter is two tap 
create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. So that's the the construct, the Urza construct, etc. We've we've seen more and more of these things around. Um, this is not an ability you can usually activate on your second turn. Like if you turn one Urza Saga, turn two, you need two mana plus the Saga to make the construct. So this is probably not going to be the land you play on turn one. And then chapter three is search your library for an artifact card with convert a mana cost zero or one and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. And you sacrifice the saga when its final chapter resolves. So this, you lose a land. It costs you a land to do this, uh, but you replace it with this zero or one mana artifact. So important rules thing to get into real quick before we talk about the implications of this card. Urza Saga Chapter 3 says, with mana cost 0 or 1, it does not say mana value 1 or less. So the card has to actually have a printed mana cost of 0 or 1. So that rules out Lotus Bloom, uh, Mox Tantalite, uh, those sort of things that don't have a printed mana X cost. X artifacts uh, as well. Yeah, X artifacts. Um, so you can't get Chalice of the Void even on 0. Uh, you can't get artifact lands. So uh, there... I'm sure that came up in a development meeting as well. It's like, okay, this can't get Lotus Bloom. Deal. <laughs> so that's how they, they worked around that. So this card is weird. It's brilliant. So weird. It's like, amazing. You could tell so much thought it went into this card. Yes. Uh, and I think this is one of those cards that has like an 80% chance of being cool that it exists and some decks are going to like it. And otherwise just be a cool thing that exists and 20 percent chance that it's horrifically broken and needs to be banned and i i don't think it's going to hit that one in legacy uh, i've heard some rumblings about modern but i think all of those are just like i haven't seen a list yet i've just heard rumblings about like this card being silly but okay so let's talk about what this card where it can go so it slots kind of cleanly into what decks like urza echo and Bom- bomberman are already doing uh, like Urza Echo has this beatdown side plan. Like uh, you're busy respecting my combo. I'm going to crunch in with my constructs. And this is another way to make constructs. It tutors up the Lion's Eye Diamond uh, in chapter three. And both of these decks want Lion's Eye Diamonds in play. So that that's a pretty clean show up for that. The question is what deck building space are you putting it in? Because those are also Ancient Tomb City of Traders decks. So they want more mana. And this is a land that sacks itself after two turns. So uh, there's going to be some deck building tension there, but those are the cleanest just plug and play applications. It's hard, though, because those decks also want colored mana, and this is a colorless producing card. So like there is a real cost of this card. Right. Yeah, it is. It's not free. It just uh, if you're looking for a, a place that is ready to open it, it would embrace it with open arms without building a new deck. I would start there. And probably Bomberman more than Echo, but uh, they they do a lot of similar things. Um, Chapter 3 does almost everything Trinket Mage can do. Uh, Like we talked about, Trinket Mage is 1 or less, and this is 1 or 0 specifically. So it would be too easy if you could just cash in your Urza Saga. Like, oh, I still need mana. I'll just get Seed of the Synod. So like even ignoring the absolute bustedness of Lotus Bloom, like just turning it into a a sticky artifact land still too easy so uh there's a lot of cards in legacy 
if you've been playing a while, you might remember that Trinket Mage was once a playable card in this format. Like you could actually just cast Trinket Mage and you have like a Tormod's Crypt, a Pithing Needle, uh, a Seat of the Synod, uh, like just a little spread of, you know, four or five artifacts that you can pick and choose. Uh, so all of those are still available. Like you could, I didn't compile the complete list, but uh, just off the top of my head, uh, Graft Digger's Cage, Silent Gravestone, Nile Spellbomb, uh, Lotus Petal, Lion's Eye Diamond. So there, there are certainly playable cards. Pithing Needle, of course, is a big one. And important to note another rules nuance here. If chapter three resolves, the artifact is in play. So if your opponent, if you're like trigger chapter three, your opponent says, okay, then you go get Pithing Needle. It's in play. You get to name something. They don't get to respond. So uh, surprise, your fetch lands are gone or uh, too bad. You didn't get to activate that thing. So keep that in mind. It, I like that. It can result in some really scary surprises. I saw a couple of lists floating around with, surprise, surprise, Phyrexian Dreadnought. Just like, okay, I tutor my 12-12, I stifle the trigger, ah, ha, ha, oh no. That That's certainly in the too cute category, but that's the sort of design space that you're working with. I was told I was crazy when this card was spoiled, but I said that it was a possible sideboard option for TES. We were already playing Mishra's Bobble. I said, well, we have the possibility of activating this on turn two because of, you know, we play six mocks in. And then you can actually activate it again with the third chapter on the stack to make another construct. And TES has so many artifacts, we could do the pseudo Carnecos thing against Delver or Control decks. Um, the issue is that A, it's colorless, and B, Wasteland is already a card that's really good against TES. Um, but I do think that I'm going to get a couple of these and put them into my maybe one day deck space because um, it's certainly really powerful. Yeah, very cool. Very unique card. So uh, this is, I put this a little later in the notes, but since we're already on it. So single cards that uh, tutoring up could really pay off certain decks. Uh, we talked about LED. Opal or Amber are also in the conversation. Voltaic Key. Uh, every single business card in Lantern Control. The Lantern of Insight, the Codex Shredder, the Ghoul Color Bell. Like, uh, I know that's a modern deck that's mostly fallen off, but... Uh, if that deck has legs, this is going to be involved. Phyrexian Dreadnought, we've mentioned. Grindstone, uh, Altar of the Brood is a kill condition in some uh, various combo decks. Uh, Pox, Pox Homies, The Rack, and Curse Scroll are both one-mana artifacts. Uh, Candelabra of Tanos, and uh, maybe even Colossus Hammer. Like Hammer Time is a modern deck, and this is another way to get that hammer into play. So that's just like off the top of my head. Uh, like I had five minutes putting notes together before we started recording tonight. And those, those are all like things that you want. Like if you're, if you built your deck with those cards in them, they're cards you want to play. So those are all like the, the very level one cool tutor targets. I'm about to get weird with you though. So this can represent repeatable endgame threats in combination with something like crucible or loam. Uh, like Bryant said, each, uh, Urza Saga represents two constructs over the course of uh, three turns. So you if you get into those grindy loam games where like ports and wastelands and whatever have done their thing, or you're just uh, in shark still even, and like you have this, you could play like one of these in shark still, and it, it's kind of like a fifth shark typhoon for that end game situation, like another way to pay off Crucible. Uh, that 
those could slot into decks like that or it could spawn a whole new archetype like artifact control artifact prison and that's just how they win like they just have uh 10 spheres in play and crucible this thing will kill you eventually um uh lands uh has crop rotation it's a land you can crop rotate for this thing like get it on the end step it immediately triggers chapter one untap you're in chapter two immediately here's a construct uh the deck also has some artifacts in it like it plays mox diamond already you could add a prison package like you could play a pithing needle you could play uh a graph digger's cage i don't know if these decks want it but you can do it i don't even think you have to get cute there i just think you play a couple of these and just the ability to pivot early like conceptually when people think about lands they think like about a control combo deck or, or something along the spectrum and this gives you the ability to just say i'm gonna crap a creature i'm gonna crap another creature i'm gonna send them both sideways and then i'm going to loam and make more creatures and you actually get some draws where you are the beatdown, which is very unusual for that deck um i i think this card is going to see at least testing in, in lands for sure yeah and it, it seems low cost uh the questions are between dark depths and field of the dead does it plug a hole the deck has uh like those those two things kind of represent what this card's already doing uh i i think that unless you're getting some value out of chapter three like even if it's just like uh you play literally any spell bomb and just can trip off of chapter three like i don't know Uh, i'm not a lance expert but uh these are all things that are on the table um Maverick always already plays Knight of the Reliquary and Ramanup Excavator. So if you like toolboxes in your toolboxes, you can <laughs> tutor for this, get it into play, make some constructs, and then uh, Ramanup it back in. Uh, that's that's a thing you can do. Uh, Yavamaya is a card we haven't talked about yet. Uh, it's Urborg, but green, like all lands in play are forests. Uh, you can pick up your Urza Saga with Quirion Ranger and just refire it over and over again, just like. Let chapter three trigger, pick it up in response, get your artifact, play it for the turn. Boom, boom. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. Um, this could trumpet the return of stacks as an archetype. Uh, stacks is largely replaced by all of the other better prison decks these days, but uh, this could happen. Um, that That's what I had uh, just off the top of my head. I, like, I'm excited about the possibilities. Like, I, I'm not going to pretend I understand the complete ramifications of this card Uh, i think there's a lot of cool things here i think there like i said some archetypes could play with it uh, without warping too much so and it might spawn brand new archetypes and i'm leaving the door open that it's completely busted in half well i I don't know if i heard you say this but it's certainly playable in vintage and po uh just like that deck's already playing 15 16 17 artifacts uh those constructs are going to be very, very scary. And it's a free win condition. Like you have to do so little work in order to make it that an effective thing. Uh, so that's pretty interesting to me. And then Brian, you've been playing magic forever, just like I have. I'm sure you remember the stocking stones win condition control decks. Uh, oh yeah. Th- this could be not necessarily legacy, but maybe historic or somewhere else. This could be that sort of effect where this is your stocking stones and you just win with, you know, these late game, you don't play real win conditions. You just win with these pseudo man lands. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly a thing you can do. Um, I, I have played my 
my share of control decks that only had uh, Urza's Factory to win with. Just the seven mana make a 2-2 land from Time Spiral. Like, I've done that. <laughs> and uh, I, this is a more realistic win condition than those are. You can tutor it with Telerian Academy. By, or not Telerian Academy. Teleria West, by the way. Just thought of that. <laughs> uh, there's so much going on here. Uh, and it's an enchantment. Like, we haven't even talked about, like, Enchantress stuff. Like, this doesn't trigger um, any Enchantress because you don't cast it. Uh, it just enters the battlefield. On. Isn't there one of them that it's an enchantment ETBs? So, like, one of the ones that's stapled to a creature? It will trigger Constellation. Yes. The uh, uh, the static, or, or the, uh, it's not a static ability. Like Triggered the, ability. Constellation. Uh, it will trigger Constellation. It will not trigger the traditional when you cast an enchantment draw card enchantresses. So uh, it does trigger constellation. You can tutor it with Sterling Grove. Uh, you you could you could rumble in with your Destiny Spinner, <laughs> just like get in there. I, I I don't know. Like this is so weird. Nothing like it has ever happened. Yeah, and and on that note, it's also a land that is vulnerable to enchantment destruction. Which, while there's not a ton of that running around main deck, it'll occasionally happen. Yeah, like uh, I would your not... land gets wreck saged or something. Yeah, or just wilt. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's no bueno. Um, it cannot be abrupticated though, because it is a land, even though it is an enchantment. So lots of weird stuff going on here. Yeah, and just another low-hanging fruit that we didn't touch on in Vintage. This can also just tutor your Lotus up every game if you were to play this up as a as a four of. Um, oddly, you probably wouldn't want to actually do that in, say, a Workshop's deck because your Workshop mana doesn't actually... It can't pay for the activated ability that gives you Constructs. Right. Uh, but, I mean, Golo Shops is, I think, the premier version of Shops right now, and Golos can just eat this thing right into play. So, and, and that's a Crucible deck all day long. Like, your plan is to eventually strip lock your opponent with Crucible. So now, I mean, Golos gets the job done quick enough. This might be win more. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty confident that it is win more in that shell. But just being able to chuck it into play off of Golos is nice. It, it seems like a low cost one of there, at the very least. The Golos decks are also usually Dark Depths decks at the moment as well. So it's going to be fighting for spots. But yeah, as a one of, it's absolutely free. Uh, there's also some interesting design space in Breach decks because it's a backup win con and it tutors through a Lotus, which are two things you always want in that deck. Yeah, that's true. So Brian, I know that there's one card that you were really excited to talk about that wasn't our big four for today. That's Void Mirror. Yeah, yes. Uh, so... Let me read Void Mirror for everyone. Let me let me find it, pull it up real quick. Of course, the spoiler isn't in alphabetical order. Okay, I found it. Uh, Void Mirror, two mana artifact. Whenever a player casts a spell, if no colored mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. So, on the surface, this hoses mud decks. Like Vintage Shops, uh, Eldrazi in Legacy, um, uh, 12 Post. Like, these, that's probably, that's, like the the surface level you get a little below the surface uh zero mana cards lotus petal obviously no mana was spent on it uh, bryant is making a big sad face on our our video chat right now uh but so this is like functionally a chalice on zero and it's also functionally kind of a lavinia 
like uh, Force of Will, uh, it pitch cast, Force of Negation pitch cast, uh, any of the new elementals, uh, Phil's Boy Endurance. Like uh, if you pitch cast any of these cards, they're countered. So there's a lot going on here. Um, it, it's a pseudo defense grid and a pseudo chalice on zero uh, with applications against decks that are naturally colorless. So there's a lot there's a lot of pieces to this and much like we talked about endurance where like uh, any one of the things endurance does isn't good enough to put in a deck but once they're like all together you get a pretty robust card um i have seen some visceral reactions to void mirrors printing like angry quit magic level reactions uh, from people who like Basically, the entire vintage workshop community is like, really, wizards? Are we that evil? What did we do to you? And the ban list is what you did. Look at it. Right. So, uh, or this restricted list. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, we don't even need to get into the fact that, uh, dozens of artifacts have died for Mishra's workshop sins on the vintage restricted list. Like there's some embarrassing cards <laughs> that are restricted in vintage be- when, because workshop is allowed as a forum. But so even let's assume that your deck is ostensibly monocolorless. This does not say counter any colorless spell. It says counter any spell that colored mana wasn't used to cast it. So in vintage shops, Talarian Academy and the five colored Moxin are in every single list. So there's at least six colored sources of mana that you can just cast your spells with through that. Uh, we go into Legacy. Um, colorless Eldrazi plays Cavern of Souls. It usually plays a uh, Spirit Guide of some variety. Like Urborg you can filter is some somewhat color. common as well. Yep. I was just about Urborg. to say that Caracas. Yeah, Urborg, Caracas, Bajukabog. These are all cards that are played in, quote, colorless decks. And... So there's some amount of the time where your blue opponent will jam this void mirror, turn off their own force of wills, and then stop nothing out of you. Uh, like the blue player, or, or I, we're assuming it's blue. the The player who plays void mirror to try to stop a colorless deck has to do it on turn one on the play. Uh, once it's even, if you're even on the draw and they get to put their moxin down, this card doesn't do anything anymore. Uh, except turn off your own forces and the ways to get void mirror into play early on turn one because it's a two drop generally are affected by void mirror so uh i mean the dream scenario is you just go like uh you know volcanic island mock sapphire cast this uh you were gonna make that play anyway go but that turns off any subsequent moxin in your deck if you're playing ancient tomb to power this thing out Ancient Tomb decks generally aren't going to work well with Void Mirror. And this one is mercifully symmetrical, unlike most printings of the last uh, three or four years. This one is when a player casts a spell. So uh, I just, unless the the individual pieces of this like add up to something worth a deck slot, I just don't think this card is going to see much play after the first month or so. I think people are going to realize this isn't doing what I need it to. And we're going to see it drift away. And anyone who quit Magic and sold their workshops because this card was printed, sorry, (laughs) you've made a huge mistake. Um, Like, Defense Grid can go in any deck. It's an artifact. How many decks do people play Defense Grid in? It's like close to zero. Chalice of the Void can go in any deck. I am sitting right here, Brian. (laughs) Well, 
you're you're the only one. So defense grid, uh, in, in the the scheme of decks, it it serves a very specific purpose in a very specific type of deck. Like any any random deck, like Phil, you could put that in death and taxes and not worry about force of wills anymore. But you don't do that because it's not worth a card slot. And chalice of the void, you could play that card in any deck. It's an artifact. You could play it for zero, which is two less mana than void mirror costs to get the same effect. And people don't do that. So it, unless the the stars align and the individual bits of like defense grid's not good enough, chalice is not good enough. But what if it's both? Like that's the only area where this card becomes playable to me, and I just don't think we're going to clear that bar. And this is one of those opposition agent spoiler freakout moments where opposition agent turned out to be terrible, and I think void mirror is going to be closer to opposition agent than it is to deafening silence. Yeah, I I think this this card will see some vintage play. I think for that first week or two, and. There are going to be some games where it resolves on turn one, and, and that is it. That is the game, but I don't think that is going to be strong enough on average and consistent enough on play versus draw to actually be worth having in your deck. Yep. Uh, like, it has to arrive on turn one on the play, like I said. And the cards that let you power this out on the play are bad once it's in play so subsequent moxen are terrible and if you want a high enough density of these to have it in your opening hand you're probably not playing one and the the second copy's dead if it would even resolve through your own void mirror so uh i I just don't it just doesn't line up in a way that makes sense against anything i think that we're going to see some screenshots of turn one void mirrors on the play and then we're going to see even more screenshots of turn one void mirror on the draw when the opponent already has a mox in play and it's just a blank piece of cardboard. And that's how I feel about that card. I feel like we've uh, we've rambled on for a while. Does anyone have any burning desire to say any one liners about some other card or should we go ahead and wrap it up? Well, are we not going to talk about uh, Brian's new Twitter fame? Nutshot. <laughs> I was on a plane <laughs> and I saw that and I was like, what Brian has like 600 likes over something someone said. I don't know if you saw someone might have said it somewhere else too, but someone said nutshot on my Twitter thing. I'm like, I wonder if that's where Brian saw it or if you saw it somewhere else. But uh, yeah, you got Twitter famous, man. Uh, yeah, I, I did not think uh, we're talking about a uh, uh, Chatterstorm. Chatterstorm. Called Chatterstorm. Uh, one in a green, make a squirrel token, storm uh, sorcery. Uh, nickname nutshot. Uh, a playoff grape shot and also gut shot and also getting kicked in the nuts. <laughs> and so, uh, no, I, I, I think I saw it in leaving a legacy. And then I was just like, LOL, I saw someone call this nut shot. It's very funny. And uh, the tweet went magic viral. So uh, shot through the nuts. You're too late. <laughs> uh, you give nuts a bad name. Can we write this whole song? N- People no. think it's going to so, be banned in Popper. Uh, I'm not convinced. That said, there are a few... There aren't many storm cards left that are legal, uh, that especially that are win conditions. Uh, first day of class certainly makes this uh, scary. People have brainstormed up a list that can win on turn two. That said, the best decks in the format are blue decks. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, big storm here telling us not to worry about storm. <laughs> I think that card will get banned in proper pretty quickly. I think that all of the common 
storm printings are very much to support a red green storm limited archetype and they figured we'll just ban them all when it comes to popper and i think that will be the right call uh and we're not going to talk about all these cards but like like we said we did a deep dive but like cards we could have also deep dived on uh the nutshot and the other green storm cards yavamaya the the green urborg grief the all the enchantress printings esper sentinel uh call Cauldra Complete, uh, uh, Prismatic Ending, uh, the Dothy Voidwalker and the other, like, Hateful Bears, uh, Ignoble Hierarch, Sudden Edict. Like, this this set is insane. Like, Modern, like Phil said, is going to be a totally different set on the other side of this. And Legacy is going to get a lot of reverberation coming down through it as well. I was shot down when I mentioned this, but uh, Caldera Complete, I think that Stoneblade should reevaluate how it looks. And maybe start playing a protect the queen sort of strategy uh, with like days and stuff. Make sure your Stoneforge lives and then play this. Uh, granted, you are going to be weak to Swords to Plowshare decks. It doesn't bounce like Batter Skull, but this punches a lot harder. And I think it could be interesting to see that protect the queen style strategy. Also, Phil, you're welcome to tell me that I'm dumb here. But it's interesting to at least think about in Death and Taxes where you have Mother of Runes to protect your Stoneforge and the Germ Token. Uh, just throwing that out there. Um, but the chances you ever re-equip, oh, yikes. Cl- close to zero. You're much more likely to reset it with a Flicker Wisp than actually pay seven to equip. It, it only happens yeah. in those games where you really flood. Uh, gentlemen, we are at... Uh, almost two hours right now and before we we get off task like i said we could deep dive on any of these cards we just threw out and a bunch more that i'm not even thinking of this set is stacked and uh go listen to the leaving a legacy and uh the other legacy podcasts who have hit them all a little more evenly uh we chose to go deep and i think we should leave it there before we talk for another hour oh but i miss you guys all right get out there and test some fucking cards, folks. All right, so I put in a few rhetorical questions that I would like you two to answer. I think I know mine, but what do we think of the must attack each turn? That's not a rhetorical question if you want us to answer it, Brian. (laughs) That's literally not what that means. (laughs) fine whatever the next one is rhetorical i was grouping them together you want me to ask the rhetorical then is delirium actually a steep cost well you you just Uh, never mind i'm fucking this up i'm fucking this up (laughs) we're gonna re-record this Uh, phil you're editing it oh my god all right all right phil save bryant uh rhetorical is a question that doesn't need to be answered never mind is grass (laughs) although fuck you phil (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not you, Phil. You, Phil. Because he's going to save this shit. I know of him. <laughs>